Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Our story begins in 1 Kings chapter 19. And God is speaking to Elijah. They're alone on the Mount of God. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah is searching for direction for the next step from God Almighty. He's at Mount Horeb, which is the Mount of God. He's journeyed 40 days and 40 nights to hear from God. And God begins to instruct him on the next step that he wants him to take him. I believe the theme throughout this aspect of the story is the concept of discipleship. And and, and more than that, I believe God is teaching Elijah what he wants to teach us. That God wants to teach us how to raise spiritual sons and daughters with a confidence in Christ. That's my point today. If you're searching for what your calling is, and what maybe your future is, to orient yourself towards the future, I believe God wants to speak to you today on how to raise spiritual sons and daughters with a confidence in Jesus Christ. Or, or, or simply this, how, how God deals with a, god, a godless culture. This is God's solution for a godless culture. He says, I want for you to raise up the next generation. His solution to Elijah is so simple, but it solves Elijah's problem. Elijah is there, he's frustrated, he's hurt, exhausted, and broken. We've been spending two weeks talking about the difficulties that Elijah's going through, and it's many of the difficulties that we're going through in this season. And if you've been following God for any length of time, you will go through seasons of frustration. You'll go through seasons of difficulty where life itself makes little sense, and this is the great prophet Elijah, and he's right there. And he's being open and honest with God, and he's saying, God, I feel like I failed. I feel like I'm no better than my fathers. And, and, and he said, all that I did, the people of Israel, your people, they still don't follow you. They still, they still turn aside to worthless idols. And he says, and I, even I, am the only one left. Here, the great prophet Elijah struggles with something that we all struggle with. He's spiritual, but he's become self-centered. Spiritual, saved, a saint, but he's become self-centered. For him, it was failure that drove him to this point. Other people, it's fear. Other times, it's pride. But make no mistake, we all have to fight this 
attack of the enemy. We're all going to have to fight through these circumstances in life. And, and here Elijah's trying to, trying to figure out with God what's going on. He says, I, even I. You know how many times he uses I in this, in this circumstance? He keeps going on. I, even I only. God, it's only me. I'm the only one left. Woe is me, Lord. Me, me, me. It's self-centeredness. And, 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 and God has to pull him out of a place of self. We live in a society that is extremely self-centered. Even Christians, spiritual, but self-centered. You and I, spiritual, but we're going to have to fight against self, especially when the current of culture is always drifting you towards that way. A, a place of entitlement, a place of self-obsession, a place of, of, of mindless entertainment, a place where you sit in a vegetated state only considering your needs, your wants, your emotions, your desires, your self. And this is where Elijah finds himself in this circumstance because he's going through difficult things. But hear me, do not allow the difficult circumstances of life to turn you forever inward. Because if, if you're not careful, you'll self-reflect, you'll self-evaluate, You'll read self-help books. And if you're not careful, it can become a cycle of self. Always figuring out, why me? Why'd that happen to me? Why, why did that bad thing happen? And why did they say that? And, and why am I feeling that way? And, and if you're not careful, you can turn so inward, it literally became, becomes like a, a, a forever replicating cycle of inward. And, and, and you get almost caught in a loop. And, and I love that we see I, even I. It's almost like a loop. Of Elijah saying, God, what about me? He's discovered an insufficiency in himself. He's, he's become insecure in himself. But hear me, when you discover an insufficiency, do not let it become your identity. When you, when you find an insecurity, do not let it become an identity. Hear me, the world the enemy will want you to begin to speak things over you that aren't really true. Elijah's saying, I'm the only one left. That, it's not really true. And he even knows it's not true. He knows Obadiah, two chapters earlier, who was a prophet that led him to the king. He knows it's not true that there are other men and women of God in Israel. But he's in this place of self-pity and he's allowing mistruths about himself out of his mouth. And he's saying, I'm alone. Be careful the things you identify over yourself, especially when you're in a sunken or an insufficient place. I've heard people say, say you know, I, I'm always anxious or I'm always angry or I'm broken. I am. I am. Listen, you could say I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression. But make sure your language aligns with the truth. You are not anxious. That's not your identity. You are not depressed. That is not your identity. You're struggling with it, but you're going to overcome. Do not allow your insufficiency to determine your identity. Speak life over yourself. I think about the time that Moses was in the same wilderness, and the, 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 the fire began to burn on, on the burning bush, and God calls Moses to go back and rescue the people of Israel. And what does Moses say? Over and over, he says, I, 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 I. Finally, God answers by saying, I am. I am. I get that you're insufficient, but we're not dealing with you here. We're dealing with me. What is God doing? He's saying, let your identity come from your creator. 
I know you got problems, but understand who you're talking to. I will use that stick to set a nation free. Certainly I can use you. Elijah has to be pulled out of this place of self-centeredness before God can ever get him back on track, before God can ever restore him. And, and, and this is true of you and me, that God wants to turn our insufficiency into a testimony. God wants to take our brokenness and use it for his glory. And, and to do that, God wants to break some things off of you. And, and, and you need to allow God to do that. that because I want, I want you to hear me. Your legacy is being determined by how much work you will allow God to do in your life. You know, you've heard the concept of generational curses. Well, how can a curse overcome the blood of Jesus? You are under the blood of Jesus. What generational curses really are, are undealt with sin, patterns, emotions, cycles. That's what generation, generational curses are. There are inherited, undealt with areas of, of your life that are passed down from father to son, mother to daughter. And what God wants to do is come in and say, no, that's not your identity. And don't you declare that to the child in the back seat. Begin to change your declaration. Allow God to reaffirm who you really are and break that thing off your legacy. Break that thing off your future. You will not pass down undealt with emotions or undealt with habits, undealt with patterns. You're going to fight the fight in your life. You're going to win the battle in your life. And you're going to set that area of your life free for your future. This is what Paul says. He, he, he boasts. He says, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You say, I'm struggling with insufficiencies. Here's God's answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He goes on to say, therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what God wants to do is meet you in that place, pull you out of self-centered spirituality, and he wants to move you to his calling for you. This is what he's doing with Elijah right now. This is what he wants to do with you. Elijah says, God, I can't do it. And it's almost as if God says, no, you can't do it alone. But you can do it. And this is how. God provides his solution to Elijah's situation. God says, what I want you to do is I want you to anoint these two kings and this one priest. I, I want you to anoint kings and he says, I want you to raise a prophet in your place. This is God's solution to this self-centered insufficiency. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise up the next generation. What's God's solution? I want you to raise up spiritual sons. Raise up spiritual daughters. Raise up the next generation. This is what Jesus modeled for us. When Jesus began his ministry, one of the very first actions he did was go out and begin to gather people around him that he was going to raise through his works. And, and, and so he gathered his disciples. It was Jesus' crew, but we know them 
as the disciples. And he got Peter and he got John and, and he, he went to different villages and different circumstances and called people and said, come and follow me. Learn from me. Go my way. I'll be your guide. I'll be your mentor. I'll be your leader. This is what Jesus was doing. What did he do? Jesus made a crew. And we are called to follow in the model, in the footsteps of Jesus. By the end of those three and a half years, after they saw miracles and testimonies, they learned how to pray from Jesus. They heard great sermons, awesome church services. After the end of those three and a half years, Jesus gathers his crew together and, and he gives them a mission. Jesus' first mission was to assemble a crew. Well, he gives them a mission. It's called the co-mission, the great co-mission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. He's, he's saying, I want you to do what I modeled for you. What Jesus did as his first act of ministry, what Jesus um, pronounced for us to do in his final act in ministry is the same thing God is saying to Elijah. There's a pattern here. He's saying, here's your next step. I want you to focus outward. I want you to find someone to raise up. I want you to find someone to bless, to teach, to mentor, to lead. God has de designed faith to work this way. His solution to our self-centeredness and all of the sickness that comes with that is for us to raise up sons, daughters, saints. I want to speak first to parents. Let's speak in the natural before we go to the supernatural. Parents, your calling, the reason you were created, is for you to be pastors. If you're a parent, you're a pastor. You are a shepherd of that home. You are its leader. God has gifted you his children. They're his. For you to steward them, to raise them up. And so what God has to do, and he does it very quickly, as any parent would know, first off is break the self-centeredness off of you. It takes about three months to do that, to break the self-centeredness off of you. Um, you know, people say, like, oh, when you get married, oh, it's going to be difficult. Oh, you're gonna... It's like, that wasn't the difficult. It's kids that grow you up. It's kids that break the self-centeredness off of you. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise them. But, but if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an even greater responsibility on top of that. You're not just a parent. You're a pastor. You're the shepherd of that home, the leader of that home. And, and your calling is not just to discipline your child, although that's part of it. You teach them good manners, you say no, you set boundaries. All of that is very necessary. But your calling is not to just discipline your child. Your calling is to disciple your child. To, to introduce them to the God that rescued your life. To raise them on the statutes of the Almighty. This is what God has created you to do is to raise his sons and his daughters. Proverbs says this, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way. Jesus says this, I am the way. Train up a child in the way. Jesus arrives on scene thousands of years later to finish this verse. He says, I am the way. Lead them to me. Let them begin to understand me. Teach them how to talk to me. I am the direction they should head in. I am the relationship that they need to have. I am the way. 
And when you begin to know Jesus, when your children begin to know Jesus, when those you're leading begin to know Jesus, that's when they get the truth. Because there is no truth without Christ. He is the way that leads you to truth. And when you engage in truth, receive truth, live by truth, it leads to life. Life on this earth and life in eternity. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. What is Jesus saying? What is that writer of the Proverbs communicating? They're saying this. The foremost goal of a godly parent must not be that your children get a good education or a decent career or a good spouse, but that they know Jesus and they love him. The foremost goal of a godly parent must be that your children know Jesus and love him. This is a lesson that cannot just be merely spoken. It must be modeled. They must see it from a young age, the priority for church, the priority for God's people. They must see in your difficult times, of course they won't see perfection, but they need to see God working in that home, in that marriage. Learn how to pray. Overhear it at night, early in the morning. See you reading your word. See what faith and trust looks like. The measure of your parenting won't be where they went to school, will not be the diploma on the wall or lack thereof. The measure of your parenting will not be how much they make, what their stock options are. The measure of your parenting will be do they know God, follow him, and love him. That is what success looks like through a spiritual lens, through godly eyes. But you know, raising sons isn't just physical, it's spiritual as well. Because God calls us to be fathers to those that are new in the faith. Paul actually puts it this way. He says, you have many teachers. A lot of people are talking at you. A lot of influencers. But you don't have many fathers. In other words, it's not just being talked at that, makes you, that is what you need. or It's not even just good sermons, podcasts, books. He's saying you need people to walk with you, to correct you, to challenge you, to pick you back up, tell you you're doing a good job, tell you that there's more life to come, that you're going to be okay. You don't just need teachers. You need fathers, spiritual fathers and mothers. And, and God will put them in your life. And, and maybe God is speaking to you now saying, I want you to move into that aspect of your life. Maybe, maybe you don't just receive. Maybe now's the aspect where God's saying, I'm looking for you to give out. I'm looking for you to focus outward now to become a spiritual father and mother. And let me, let me say this. It really has nothing to do with age. There are many spiritual fathers and mothers that are mentoring people older than them, younger than them, you know. And I, I know growing up, I had quite a few people that I would say they, they fulfilled that role for times in my life. And, and some, when I was in youth ministry, they were just my small group leader. But they, they, they mentored me. They helped me discover God. And, 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 and so there's some people in our church. We've got young, a lot of young adults. Some of them are only, you know, pretty young. But they are, they've been serving God for 10 years. They've been through some stuff. They, they've learned how to be faithful. And, and God's bringing new people into the church. He's going to connect you guys and say, learn from this person. What, what I'm saying is, what God loves to do is to connect a person that's further down the road with you. So that you can receive from their wisdom. You can hear their testimonies. You, you, you who are just beginning the journey, find someone 
that, that's been living this life, get connected with them. And, and they will become a, a spiritual father and mother to you. Those of you that are further down the road, look back. Find someone that's just entering in the church, that's at the altar, that's in your crew, that needs someone to lead them in what it looks like to live a godly life. And when you begin to do that, what happens is your faith starts coming alive. Listen, your faith is designed to work this way. It is not designed to be sustained by self. Your faith is designed for it to be focused outward. So when, when people start a- asking questions of you, it starts stirring up your faith. When, when, when people have trouble, it awakens your testimony to give them faith. When you start becoming a spiritual father or mother and people are open to you and asking, all of a sudden wisdom starts coming out. You start quoting verses you don't even know how you know, but it's the Holy Spirit. He's brought that person into the conversation and he's saying, help guide this person. There's a, there's a young group of guys that come to church on Sunday and really great young leaders and I love talking with them. Every Sunday they come down and we connect afterwards, pray and Every Sunday they ask me questions and I love it. They ask me, you know, you know, clarify this and what did you mean by that in the sermon? And I'm, I, it always like, it's just like awakens me. I just preached a couple times, but I find this new energy, you know, almost more than they're even looking for. You know, they're like, all right, you know, thanks so much. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, but another interesting thing, the Hebrew of that word is actually, and they're like, you know, leaving the, they're like leaving the sanctuary. Like, sounds good, we're grabbing lunch. I'm like, oh, yo, let me tell you about something about lunch. Lunch is very spiritual, you know, like I'm chasing them out, you know. Because there's something about when people start asking you about the word of God, that God says, you got something to give. You've been following me for 10 years. This is why. You remember when I gave you a revelation about that verse. It's for this moment right now. You remember when you went through that difficulty. You remember when that sickness came. It's for you to impart faith to this person right now. You remember that brokenness. Tell them right now that that place is temporary. Give them faith for the future. God will use your testimony to begin to raise faith in other people. That, that is what it looks like to raise spiritual sons and daughters in the faith. That is what discipleship is all about. And that's why we have crews here at the church. Crews are simply small groups. And we we believe that you should not do life alone. You should not have to go through, certainly the difficulties of this season, just trying to navigate it on your own. But God's given us a large church, but, but we, this is where we take the opportunity to get small, make the community specific. So we have small groups that meet all throughout the week in different locations, people opening their homes. And I want to challenge you right now, before this sermon is even over, go on your phone, go online, sign up today. Crews are launching today. So you can go to awakeningchurch.org slash crews, and this page will come up, and it's kind of good little... Uh, good little thing, like a little, um, like a little ad going here. But you can see all the different crews, different people, times they meet. We've got a meeting all days of the week. And there's lots of different crew types. There's kid-friendly, youth, Spanish-speaking crews, and interest-based. The goal, though, is that you get around some faith people. That you get around some people that have, have led the life, that have gone through some stuff. And I want to take a moment and thank the crew leaders. Those of you that are opening your home, that are spending time. You know, it'd be easy for, for them to just say, like, ah, it's difficult to lead right now. Everything's upside down. Next season. But there are some that said, no, we're going to be spiritual fathers and mothers. We're going to help. We're going to show up. We're going to be there. And I'm thankful for those that led through this past year as well. I want to thank you. Those of you that serve the house of God, thank you.
And I pray that God blesses your house as well. And so for all my crew leaders out there, today's the day. Send some texts, get some people in that crew. And for those of you that are part of the church, today's the day. Go online right now, join a crew, and I believe that God is going to bring you into the right place. And this is where our faith begins to act as it, as it was designed to. That we don't obsess over self, but we begin to help others. And this is, this is how faith work, works. This is its design. That you get healing by bringing healing to others. That you get fulfilled as you pour out. That you become content by giving away. This is how faith works. I know it's the opposite of what you would think. It's the opposite of what Elijah thought. He thought the problem was just him. He thought the problem was the people in Israel. But what God was saying is, no, now it's time for you to go to another level. Now it's time for you to step up. Now it's time for you to focus towards the future. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's what crews are about. You know, we're opening our children's classrooms um, over the next few weeks. We've been working hard on it, one class a week. And if you're a parent, reach out. We'd love to get connected with you. We're working through the whole process. But the reason we're doing that is because we want to help equip and we want to help um, parents that, that need the resources that we have available to teach their children about Jesus and the gospel. And that's what our goal is as a church. So we're grateful to be able to launch the children's ministry again. Teach them the gospel right at their level. We've got a great youth ministry that meets on Thursday nights here at the church. If you've got a teenager, bring them. Because our goal, just like with Cruz, just like in the children's ministry, just like with youth ministry, is to present the gospel to those that need a partner on the journey down the road. And we've got incredible leaders in all those different areas that will help take us into the next step. Hear me, church. Wherever you are in the journey, that's where God's calling you. Away from self towards others that need what you have in you and on you. God wants to work through you. Amen? This is God's promise. God tells Elijah, I want you to anoint the future generation. And here's my promise. I will leave 7,000 in Israel. I will set apart, set aside 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and all the mouths that have not kissed that idol. This is his promise. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise up, not just anybody. I want you to raise up some leaders, 7,000 that are bold. These knees have not bowed. They're confident. They're strong. They're present. They're moving forward. God's promise is you're not alone. But there are people all around you that will stand with you. My wife was speaking to my father when we were about to have our firstborn son. And uh, she was asking him about his best advice for parenting. She said, of all the parenting advice you had to give, and my dad has quite a bit, really amazing advice on raising young people and leaders. And she said, what's the most important thing that I need to know as a parent in raising my son? And uh, my dad says, you want to know the most important thing in the whole world? She was leaning in for like the secret sauce, you know, the math equation. But my dad said, simply this, you need to instill confidence in them. The most important thing in raising young people is they need to have confidence. If you have confidence, you can overcome every problem. If you have confidence, you'll find a solution. If you have confidence, culture 
in the world cannot tell you who you are. The most important thing you need to put in your children, your son, is confidence. You know, it's interesting when I read this verse, I see that God has some people set apart, set aside a remnant who are still confident. They're confident in who God is. 7,000 that would not bow to culture, would not bow to Baal, would not bend their knee. They heard Jezebel's threats. They saw what everyone else is doing, but they said, no, I am going to stand on truth despite what I see all around me. This is what it means to raise spiritual sons and daughters, to instill confidence in them and instill values. It's because how do you put that depth in them? How do you put that unshakableness in them? How do you put that boldness in them? You have to put some values and you have to put them deep. Here in New England, you know, if you go down by the seashore, you can see a bunch of you know, beach houses and they're all built up on stilts. They got little tiny you know, poles keeping them up. But you know, when the storm really comes, that foundation isn't, it's not, it's not strong enough. That house wasn't built to last generations. But if you go over into ancient Rome, there are some large pillars that go in deep foundation. And here thousands of years later, after earthquakes and storms and war and wreckage, those houses are still standing. What's the difference? The difference is their foundation. I pray we have a church that's not built on a flimsy foundation. That's not built on emotions, poor doctrine, the whims of culture, our, our, what our parents thought. But may we have a firm foundation that goes down deep. And that is where our confidence begins to come from. We have to teach our young people how to not bow. We got to teach them how to stand true and be forthright in their convictions. We got to teach them what those values are. They should have values that help them determine right from wrong, especially in a, in a culture that says there is no right or wrong. They need to have values to understand good from evil, especially in a culture that tells them that everything's sort of gray. They need to have values that can help identify the truth from the lie, especially in a culture that says whatever is true to you is true. No, there is truth and there are lies. There is right and there is wrong. And I believe God is calling us to raise natural sons and daughters and spiritual sons and daughters that know the truth, that stand on that sturdy foundation, that have some moral absolutes. One of the reasons that society is upside down is because there are no moral absolutes. So everybody's opinion is weighted equally with everyone else. But we believe there are moral absolutes. And the reason there is, is because there is a moral rule giver. In other words, there is a God. He is the creator. He determines truth from the lie, right from wrong. He makes it clear in his word. He gives it to his people that we may stand on it. Therefore, when we live our lives like that, we will not bow our knee to culture, to idols, to lesser things. We will not kiss the idol of Baal. In other words, long after, have a relationship with those things. I pray that you can raise up young men and women in the faith and make them fearless, confident, bold. Make them fearless. Instill confidence deep in their heart. How will we do that? We'll make a de decision 
and a dedication we will live not by lies. The great Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn spent time in the gulag, made this critical observation in, in his essay, Live Not by Lies, on how to withstand a culture that is completely godless. He, he said you need to make a dedication in your heart that you will refuse to say that which you do not think. You will refuse to do that which you do not believe in. He said, here's your power. In a culture where you are powerless, here's your power. Do not come into agreement with something you don't believe in. Live not by lies. He goes on to explain. He says, do not agree with someone just to please them if that's not what you actually agree with. He, 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 he says you need to make some dedications like do not shift your values to be comfortable or accepted by society. He, he says don't even patronize, do not give your financial agreement to any form of entertainment that pushes an ideology onto you that you don't agree with. He's saying this, you need to instill some foundational values, set some boundaries that you will not cross no matter what anyone else in culture is doing. I pray we raise another generation. You know, this generation may be gone. When I think about Elijah, he went to try and change Ahab and Jezebel and, and they, they wouldn't change. I, I, I don't know what God is going to do with this generation. I don't know what he's going to do with this culture. I pray there's a revival. But I do know this. We do not have to go out and convince everyone, but we can go to the next generation and capture it. Raise it up. Make it strong. And teach them, our sons, our daughters, this church, our young people, we will live, not by lies. We stand on the truth. We stand in confidence. We stand in boldness. And I believe that what God will do is he will retain us for himself. He will set us apart for himself. The psalmist says this, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. God says, no, I've, I've kept 7,000 that have not kissed Baal. They have not, they have not give honor or homage to that idol in all it represents. But I believe there is 7,000 because there's always a remnant, a set apart, the church of Jesus Christ that will kiss the Son, have a relationship with God, give honor to Jesus, and, 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 and give him his due. And we will be blessed because we take our refuge in him. I believe that the purpose of Jesus coming was for relationship with us. That is what the cross is all about. The cross and Jesus' sacrifice on it was to take us from self-centered, and make us sons and daughters. That was his purpose. That's what he did for us. So God becomes our father because of Jesus. But God says, don't let it end there. I've rescued you. I've changed you. I've rearranged you. But now I'm calling you. I'm calling you from, from you to move from self to begin to raise up the next generation. Look around you. Who's in your home, in your workplace? Who has God put in your sphere of influence? You might feel like, well, I'm not Billy Graham. Well, no one is. But who's in your immediate circle? Who, who, if you expand your circle just outside of yourself, who's right there that God can say, that's the person I want you to help raise up. That's the person I want you to help encourage. 
That's the one. Take the focus off you, put it on them. And your faith is going to be activated like the way you've been praying for it to be activated. Elijah was in this, he was in this place of brokenness. And how did God get him out of it? He said, go and raise up another. Many years later, we find that Elijah had found his replacement, the prophet in his place. And his name was Elisha. Elisha became Elijah's disciple and saw many incredible acts. And the fateful day came where God was going to take Elijah from earth to heaven. A chariot of fire came and he's one of the few people in Bible recorded history that never died, but was translated to heaven. Well, Elisha was there for that. And Elijah said, when this happens, keep your eyes open and watch what will happen. And if you see what will happen, you will have double the anointing that's on my life. My mantle, which is all I have, will pass from me to you. You might feel like, well, I don't have very much. Elijah only had a mantle. He says, I'll give this from me to you. Just stick with me. Well, on that incredible day, the chariot of fire came and Elisha, his servant, saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. What was it that Elisha cried out? What was it after all these years where Elijah said, I'm broken and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and no one's with me. God said, I want you to raise up another. And all these years later, we see the answer to that prayer. We see that God had a plan all along. Here's this young man and he doesn't shout out my friend. He doesn't shout out my mentor. He shouts out my father, my father. See, God's solution for Elijah was to become a spiritual father. And Eli Elisha had to become a spiritual son. God had to bring Elijah out of this place, put him on a new path, help him learn to raise up the next generation. And Elijah was so mightily blessed because of it. Just incredible miracles that came through Elisha's life. Amazing the legacy that came from that broken moment. But what did it take? It took God repositioning Elijah and say, it's no longer about you. You've been saved, restored, healed. Now go help me do it with someone else. This is what discipleship is all about. God restores you by bringing a spiritual son or daughter alongside of you. This is the Jesus model. This is the Elijah model. This is the Elisha model. A couple moments later, when Elisha is going to do his first miracle, he grabs the mantle of Elijah. And what does he say? He says, where is the God of Elijah? What he was asking for was to see the God that his father knew. He wanted to see it for himself. I'm believing that the generations to come, if we do not fail them, if we can pass on the legacy, if we can lead them, give them good doctrine, teach them, pray for them, be there with them. They will do greater things than we could ever even imagine. And they will be asking in their day, Lord, let us see the things you did in my father's day. I'm talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual sons as well. I believe this is what God wants us to do as a church, as people. You might be saying, well, I've only been coming 10 weeks. Find someone that's only been coming one week. I've only been coming one year. Find someone that's been coming one month. But if you've been here for five, 
10 years, your next step, hear me, as your pastor, a spiritual father, I'm speaking to you about your next step. The step that I believe this church needs to take is a step towards discipleship. Jesus made his disciples, and at the end he said, now you go and make disciples. Today is the day of discipleship, where we're going to help people get to God. We're going to expand our spheres of influence. We're going to raise up spiritual sons and daughters, and we're going to make them confident in Christ. So here's what I would challenge you, challenge you to do. One last thing before we go. I would challenge you to consider this. How can I use my position to raise up a prophet in my place? That is the question I want you to ask yourself. How can you use your position to raise up a prophet in your place? I know you're not a pastor, I know, but that doesn't mean that you aren't a prophetic influence. That doesn't mean you're not a leader, you are. And how can you use your position to raise up another great leader. I know some people in our church, they're, they're considering all different things. We have business people that God has put them in positions of leadership in their culture and in, in, in their workplace, and they're doing incredible things. They're leading. I, I know people that are even able to connect their corporation with We Heart Lives, and they're doing match donations, and they're using their influence in that way. I know there's other people that feel convicted from God to run and, and represent uh, the people God's people in government, and they're saying they're going to run. Maybe that's what God will say. I want you to, I want you to, to do that. Maybe, maybe there's people that are saying, I'm, I feel like I can give more. I can serve the house. I, I don't know what it will be for you. It'll be different from you for, from everybody else. But God does have something for you. More than that, he's got someone for you to raise up. You are Elijah. God has an Elisha. And I believe that one day, God will turn you around and show you your legacy of all the people you prayed with and helped and prayed for and were there in their difficult moments. And God will bless it and he'll honor. And may we be a church that's filled with people like that. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.